I'm Rosie, the founder of Modern Woman, and today we're going to talk all things property investment related as we hear from the founder and CEO of CityGate Homes, Dolapo Oni. Dolapo started her career working in the US for KPMG while studying for her MBA before she came back to the UK to work with BP as a business analyst. She soon realised her passion for property and took the jump to start her own business during the 2008 financial crisis called City Gate Homes, which she has now grown into a multi-million pound property portfolio within the London area. Coming from Nigerian descent, yet born in the UK, she understands firsthand what hard work is and how to never give up. She's a proud mum of two, a devoted wife, and her mission is to empower the next generation of female property investors by debunking the myth that you need a huge deposit to get started in property investing. Welcome, Dolopo. It's wonderful to have you with us today. Thank you so much, Rosie, and so great to be on the show. Oh, you're welcome. So let's go back to the beginning. You were born in the UK, but you grew up in Nigeria. Tell us what childhood was like. So childhood was interesting. Um, I grew up with very entrepreneurial parents. And so um, they came to study over here. And after they finished their studies, then they moved back home to Nigeria because that's pretty much what they did. And um, when they moved back home, my dad then started his company. My mom started her own manufacturing company. And so I must say that a lot of my entrepreneurial skills does come from my family upbringing because very early on, they were always talking about you know, developing your own passion, developing what it is that you like to do. So when I was younger, I used to do quite a lot of, you know, just things around the, the you know, the, the neighborhood just uh, to try and see if I could earn some money here, maybe like taking care of kids, things like that. And then very quickly, one of the things that my dad was very big on was um, com- um, computer, um, um, computer science and everything um, um, IT generally. And so, you know, he'd, he, he even back then used to talk about building Gates, Microsoft, buying stocks, <laughs> things like that, because he was really into tech. So he really um, tr- drove us into getting more uh, into sort of getting very uh, computer literate and all of those types of things, which, you know, they were just on the come up at the time um, when I was growing up in Nigeria. So that by the time I moved over to the US, um, I was quite comfortable in that space and it meant that, you know, I was able to get like a really good job off of the fact that I was already quite savvy. I was, you know, I was already very confident in terms of being able to, you know, um, have conversations because I'd been doing quite a bit in terms of that entrepreneurial sort of, I've been developing my entrepreneurial skills from then. However, I must say, I always wanted to work in corporate. So even though my parents were entrepreneurial, I always had that dream to work for one of the big fives and, you know, in accounting or consulting. And so that's how I got um, into KPMG. And I really, really loved my time um, working in corporate, especially when I moved over here as well. Hmm. So, I mean, like you say, you started your, your career in the corporate world. Did you think you would end up running your own business? I knew at the back of my mind. So when I was in the US, I did my MBA. And part of the reason why I did that, my um, when I did got the MBA, was because I thought, well, at some point in the future, I will want to run a business. I'm not 100% sure what that business will be, but I would like to know what is involved in that process. So that's part of what that was about. But to be honest, I thought that my corporate career was going to last a lot longer and that it would be sort of mid-career, say, as I hit towards my sort of mid-40s, that I would then branch out and create something more entrepreneurial. Um, but so I was quite surprised when I then discovered property investing 
and then realized how much of a passion I had for it. And then at some point, I think I matched my salary by the third property investment a project I did. And I just realized, you know, I have such a flair for this. I really love this. You know, I'm doing myself a disservice. And this is very much my early 30s still going to work when I have this, I'm literally, you know, going on my lunch breaks to go view properties and I'm really getting into it. I should just give myself time to develop it while I'm still young, I'm not married and all of those types of things. Let me see where this takes me. So I was quite happy to take that risk at the time. And I didn't even see it as a risk. It just seemed like the next best thing to do. So we're going to hear more all about that. But first of all, I'm going to go into your first song choice, which is um, Beyonce with Run The World Girls. Tell us why this song resonates with you. So I remember the first time I heard the song and I just like the message about women empowerment and the fact that, you know, we can run this world. And I always feel like if we ran the world, we would be more, um, I don't, I'm not, saying that guys don't do a good enough job but I feel like we would be more compassionate and we wouldn't go to war quite as quickly as say the, the men would and I think things might just be a bit more you know less less combative in a sense but generally I like the the context of the of the song and I like the fact that you know it's just so powerful and if you're watching the video it just makes you want to move and it's such a it's such a strong strong song so it's definitely my first choice for the type of song that I feel um, embodies the thought about women and girls especially you know the fact that she's talking about girls not just about women it's about thinking about that from when you're young that you can run the world and having that empowerment mentality from a young age which I am definitely imbibing my little daughter who's three And that was Beyonce with Run The World Girls. I mean, I totally resonate with what you've said there as well. I think it's definitely the beat in that song that just sort of gets you up, wants you to start powering through the world, you know? Yes. Um, so let's move on to um, property investing and that part of your journey. So you mentioned um, before your re first record that you were were matching your salary in the corporate world by your third investment. Was that the time that you realized you were able to go full time in, with property? Very much so. So I think the first two were fine, but I didn't necessarily think of it as a full time thing. I just thought, well, I could do this as long as well as my full time job, which was fine at the time. And, you know, I was enjoying traveling because my role actually involved quite a bit of travel. But at some point, I did get a bit tired of the travel as well. And I started to think, okay, what's the next step for me career wise? And at the time, um, because property was then picking up and I didn't know how well this this um, project was going to do. So at the point where, you know, the numbers came in, I sold that property, it was going, it was going to be a flip. So I bought it in auction, refurbished it, put it back on the market and did way better than I thought it would. And then I realized, actually, um, this is something I could easily do full time. And this is something I'm doing at the moment with two or three hours a day, even if probably even less. And I'm already having such strong results. Then I think the truth of the matter is when you start a business and you, you start it off, say, with passion and enjoyment, you're enjoying that process, the point where you start to prove to yourself that you can generate income and you can really make something out of it that's the point that's that's the that's the real turning point and that's kind of the light bulb moment because at that point I just realized my gosh like literally I've done this off of two hours a day 
you know, looking at property, investigating, doing all of that research analysis. Uh, so what would happen if I left my full-time job of eight hours a day, nine hours, sometimes even 12 hours a day to, mm. to focus on this? So yeah, that's, that's kind of where it stemmed from. And how did you get into property investing? That's a good question. And I, I try to remember, I think the seeds were definitely sown by my father because he um, invested quite a lot in uh, back home in Nigeria in property. Um, so, um, but the interesting thing is when I was Ameri in America, in the US, I did try to get into property, but I didn't get it. And I also tell this to people who want to get into property. Sometimes it takes a while for you to really understand the way th the whole thing works, unless you're in a space where somebody can really just tutor you through that process. So it took me a while to get it, to just fully understand the way it worked. But when I got to the UK, it was, um, it was just a series of conversations with people. A friend of mine had recently bought a property. I saw the way the process worked. I went through the numbers and I started to really understand, you know what, property investing sounds like something I could do. At the time I had some money um, saved and I also had some access to funds from my family. So I then thought, you know what, if I took these funds, you know, it did require a bit of creativity in terms of getting access to the funds, but I thought, you know what, if I could get access to it and prove this, maybe I can actually make something of this. So yeah, so that's how property investing then came about. And I just used to literally go to auction rooms, go view properties, you know, back then it wasn't like there was training so freely available, but the auction houses were amazing in that they would send out the catalogs. You'd see all the different properties listed and they would give you all the open house times. You could go view the properties. So that's how I started getting my understanding of how the actual physical product, i.e. property, worked. So I used to go view the properties, then I would go to the auction rooms, and then I would see how they, they performed, how they got bid, what prices. And I really started understanding pricing and, you know, valuations and things like that off of that entire process. Hmm. And do you think the industry or the, the market is a lot easier to get in? It was a lot easier to get into back then compared to today's market. That's an interesting question because, yes, I definitely think so now in retrospect, but at the time, it didn't seem quite as easy. So it was easy to buy a property, but it wasn't that easy to sell. Remember, in the financial crisis, the market is such that you can, there's a lot of properties, literally in the auctions, properties were awash. Like you just open the catalog, there were like 500 properties, all very well priced, which is a different market to today. Literally properties, they're not as many on the market. The stock isn't as great. And, you know, prices are certainly much higher than they were th back then when I was starting out. So for me, somebody starting out then, it was definitely easier to get in, but there were some strategies that weren't as easy to implement. So what I said, like the flipping strategy where you buy property, refurbish and put it back on the market, it was okay, but the margins weren't so great. Um, but there was a midpoint in the middle of that whole between when we came out of the financial crisis through to, say, I would say 2017, where flips were amazing. You literally, there weren't that many people in the market. You could buy the property, do it up and put it on the market and you would just make 100K straight up just because the market had shifted between when you bought the property and when you were putting the property on the market. So there was a really good sweet period then. Now, I don't think it's necessarily difficult to do those same strategies, but finding those deals are a lot harder in this market. Yeah, I would agree with you. And so can you share with us, say, when you are uh, an auction, a property auction, what are the things you're looking out for to evaluate whether it's going to be a good investment? So this has evolved over the, 
over the years. So, and I always say with auctions, it's always very good that you already know what strategy works because auctions can open your eyes to different, um, different strategies, maybe things you wouldn't have normally thought about. But if you know exactly what you're looking for. So um, I know starting out, I was always looking for properties that I could add value to. I'm still always looking for properties I can add value to. That's the reason why you're in the auction in the first place. But I think it's the nuance around, okay, how can I add value to this property that will really bring good income at the end of this project. So I remember an auction I went to, this is in 2012, 2013. And at the end, after bidding, somebody walked up to me and said, you pay too much for that. And I looked at him and I was like, yeah, you have no idea because that ended up being my first six figure um, um, flip. So it's funny how from his perspective, he, he would always be thinking, oh, this girl paid too much for this property. But because I knew exactly what I was going to do with the property, I knew how I was going to add value to it. And so I knew at the time that I paid, it was a really good price. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's really down to what you are looking for, what you're looking to achieve. Some people are looking to achieve as a property that has good cash flow, i.e. rental cash flow. So they'd be looking for something different from what I'm looking at if I'm looking to maximize on the um, valuation at the end once I've done all the works. It, it's going to inform the areas that I choose. It's going to inform, you know, the price that I will pay. You know, so there's so many different factors you're looking for. It's not very simple question, um, uh, question to answer, but it's definitely where you are. So right now, for instance, in order to answer your question, my what I've looked, what I look for now are deals that I can get out in six months. Um, primarily is because we don't know what's going to happen next year. So with everything that has happened, with all of the government um, bailouts and everything that you know we've been through, there's the sort of an anticipation that there might be a correction in the market next year. Um, I don't know if that's true. You know, I don't have a crystal ball, but in order to protect myself, I'm always protecting against downside risk. And in order to do that, I'll take a strategy that I know, you know what, in six months, if I can get out of this, then I know worst case scenario, I'm not exposed. And then by then I'll know what's happening in the market. I can make another, another decision then. Mm. No, it's really true. I, I really understand what you're saying. And it's, it, it makes so much sense. I think the market is so different to what it was so many years ago that you're right to sort of protect yourself within the within the smaller period compared to, say, looking at it as a, a much longer term investment. And that sort of leads me on to my next question, really, around sort of red tape and the tax implications, because that's changed a lot over the years. And do you think that it's sort of, do you think it's, with those implications, it makes it a, a lucrative market to still get into today? Yes, indeed. And, you know, things have changed and different um, different investor types have been penalized more, I would say, because of the changes in the, in the, in the tax regime. So, for instance, the sort of accidental landlord, that concept, not so much anymore, because if you are accidental, i.e. you just bought a property, didn't necessarily think you're going to be a landlord, you lived in it, and then you now turned it into a rental, depending on what your salary is, it might end up being that you're paying the government to actually keep that property in your portfolio. So those types of um, sort of, I just fell into property, not a good idea. Now you really need to know what you're doing from the onset. It means you're gonna, it's gonna inform the way you set up yourself. Are you gonna set up a company? Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't think setting up a company is applicable for everyone, but it's definitely a conversation that needs to be had as opposed to when I got started, I could literally just go buy property in my name and just carry on and get on with it. Now the tax implications won't always favor that. Not to say that there are not ways around that, but 
you know, it's just a different market. You have to be definitely more savvy getting into it now. Otherwise, you just find yourself at the end of the financial year. You haven't done anything. You literally are just, you know, you're running at a loss. So I would say definitely things have changed dramatically, but you can still get into it and still make good profit as long as you know what you're doing. Yeah, you just need to be smart about it. So your mission is to debunk the myth that you need a huge deposit to get started in property investing. Can you share with us for our listeners today and those that maybe it's something of interest to them, but they've not quite taken um, those steps for someone who wants to get into property investing and onto the ladder? Yes. And really one of the reasons why I talk about it, because of course, as a property investor, a lot of the deals I do really require a lot of funds to get started. But it was somewhere midway through my career, because as a property investor, one of the things you very quickly find is that you go through these yo-yo seasons where you have lots of funds when you just sold a property or just refinanced the property. But then once you're in a project, then it it can be a tight squeeze. So I realized then that I needed something else that also brought in cash flow. And that's how um, I came across some of the different strategies which I talk about on my podcast. Um, and I really listed about 14 different strategies that get you into property and get you really in that space without you necessarily having to have much of a deposit of your own. You're either leveraging off of other people's um, deposits, i.e. people that are around you. Um, I have a statement where I say, you know, uh, money is hiding in plain sight. Literally, the point at which you start to do things, that money will literally just appear. So you need to position yourself, though, to make sure you can get access to it. And that's what I discovered. So um, some of the strategies that we talk about are things like where, where you, you, you get access to other people's properties and then you can manage it. Now we know that as rent to rent. At the time where I started these type of strategies, there was no terminology for it. It was just, at best, they called it subletting. <laughs> but it was one of those things where I discovered because one of the one of the strategies that I, I stumbled onto through a colleague of mine was service accommodation. And I'm getting a bit technical for a reason because mm -hmm. service accommodation is it's where you, you rent out the property on a very short-term basis. Now, when I got started in, in property, I was trying to sell those properties. I wasn't trying to hold them because I needed to recycle my cash. And so I realized I couldn't put people into the properties for long term because I needed to sell within two to three months. But I couldn't leave the properties empty because the first time I did that, I ended up paying five months worth of mortgage, which then came off my profit. So I realized that I needed something in between. And that's how I discovered service accommodation. But what shocked me about service accommodation at the time was the incredible difference between the price you could charge per week versus the price you charge for the same property on a monthly basis. So therefore, it became a really, really strong strategy for um, building cash flow. So I would just literally make um, um, contact with different agents in an area, re um, reach out, get the properties of uh, property, uh, get the properties from the agents or contacts that I knew, and then manage those properties, earning income off the differential. So I'd rent it out on a weekly basis, but I was paying the monthly um, rate. So you know, very, very lucrative business to be honest. And that was one of those things where. You know, you, your startup capital was what, £5,000 to get started, but you were easily netting about, with some of the properties I had, I was netting about £1,000 a month. So, you know, for me, it was like, this is £5,000 I used to get into this, you know, investment strategy, which, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily call it a property acquisition strategy, but it's definitely in the property space. You're managing property, you're getting all of the experience. Um, 
And it was amazing. It's, you know, some of the returns were way better than the returns I was um, experiencing buying property and having all that, um, having to find all that, you know, the initial deposit. So, and that's even just one strategy. Then we talk about other strategies that get you the services that you can be provided in providing into the market that can get you having the conversations, building the confidence and getting you into the space where you're talking to property investors. And honestly, property is about people. And the minute you can start connecting with people, that's when you start finding out what synergies exist, what joint venture partnerships you can start to bridge together. And that's how you can build your own career, just working and leveraging off of what other people have. I can hear how much experience you've got, but I can also tell, you know, you've been shrewd with it as well, Delapo. You know, there doesn't sound like there's any flies on you whatsoever. But what challenges have you experienced along the way and, and how have you overcome them? Oh, lots, lots. As with any business owner, I'm sure you know, Rosie, that, you know, business always, you have to be prepared. So it's funny that recently um, I sent out to my to my email list, I sent out something about mistakes. You know, I always talk about avoiding mistakes, avoiding six-figure mistakes, those types of things. And there's some very obvious mistakes that you can make in property and shouldn't be made. So those I'll talk about. But honestly, there's just some things that you can't avoid. So I gave a story recently about my little daughter who, you know, I protect her with, you know, with everything I have. But we literally went to a hotel. We were coming out of the bathroom. She put her finger in the door and her finger literally almost came off like the entire like the top end. And imagine as a mom holding your daughter's finger and she said, is it going to fall off? Is it going to fall off? And I'm freaked out. And I'm giving that example to say that, you know, at the end of the day, it was the experts. We had to go to the hospital. You know, it was the experts, the nurses that had been through this process a million times that were like, look, we see this nearly every day. Don't freak out. It's not as terrible as it looks. So the problems that I have faced, honestly, a lot of them have have been built out of because I knew the right people to reach out to. So if I have time, there's one in which, and with auctions, I say, if you're going to have any problems, really is going to be around auctions because auctions assume that you're a very savvy investor. They, they don't, it's a very unforgiving environment. It assumes you're professional. So if you go in there and you don't know what you're doing, you can really get burnt. So um, I'd gone through, this is even midway through. So it's not even early days at all. And I'd gone through um, finding a new um, um, lender. And literally on the last day when I was supposed to complete on that property, they pulled out and said, oh, some things didn't check out and they're not happy to proceed. Now, this is the last day and I've already deposited deposited 10% as you do when you buy an auction, 10% of the deposit comes off. So 10%, I'm at risk. And at that time, 25,000 pounds was a lot of money and it still is to me today. And, um, and, and And they pulled out. So there I am with only saving grace is that with auctions, you have about five to 10 extra days of leeway where you can literally just go find and try and figure out yourself. And that's what I did. I just started calling up all the different agents I knew and brokers to say, look, I've been, I've really been messed up last minute. And it was a broker that I had worked with before. And he called me up and said, look, I can help you, but you need to let me know you're good for it. And that's all he needed. He didn't run any checks. He didn't do anything. He just said, are you good for it? I've worked with you before. I'm going to take your word that you're good for it. And we're going to do it in five days. And that's that's who bailed me out. Right. So 
to be honest, there have been lots of mistakes. There have been a lot of um, difficulties. I know there was a difficult period where I had just come out of, you know, like I told you, I quit my job. I was very excited to get into this, but I didn't have two years worth of accounts, which then meant it limited the amount of access I had to um, funding. And it meant that I only had these few lenders I could go to. So, you know, there are all these different <laughs> mistakes that and difficulties that one has experienced, um, but it's all about having that positive attitude to get out of it because they will come. Mm. And you mentioned there, the, the example you gave there was almost like it come down to who you knew to be able to help you at that time. So I find it, especially like you mentioned earlier, it's all about people, um, more about who you know rather than what you know these days. Exactly. And it's always been, I think, it's, uh, it's good to know things, but ultimately you can't, you're not an island. You need to be able to work and network and, you know, Part of what we talk about when you were talking about how you get into property without um, having uh, your own state startup capital, it's all about leveraging off of other people's, either other people's assets, other people's funds. But guess what? The only way you're going to be able to do that is by networking and connecting and convincing and negotiating. All of those are people's skills. So it's time for your second song choice, which is from Whitney Houston, I'm Every Woman. Tell us about this one. So um, Whitney Houston, um, for me, I loved her when I was growing up and I'm Every Woman. The first time it really um, uh, resonated with me was, um, I was, it was a birthday and it came up, I, I went to one of these bars and it was a live band and the live band was playing and there's just a bunch of us and we we're all singing, I'm Every Woman. And I just remember thinking, you know, as an Every Woman, like I didn't even know what that meant at the time. Now that I feel like an Every Woman in terms of, you know, being a mom, being a wife, being a friend, being a sister, being, you know, like, I, I, it has a different context to me. It's like you're everything to everyone in a sense, but you, you still need time for yourself, I feel. Um, so this song resonates with me because it's just, it's also another feel good song. It's another song that it's a moment that I remember whenever I hear the song. And, you know, I just remember me and my friends just kind of dancing and singing to each other about being every woman, so yeah. Whitney Houston with I'm Every Woman. So you're a woman yourself in a male-dominated industry and also a woman of colour. Has this been a challenge for you, would you say, whilst growing your business? It's an interesting question and I do talk about it sometimes when I have somebody on the podcast. Um, I remember there was a lady who, um, she's quite, she's quite prolific as a developer and she's she's black as well and and a woman and she said many times when she went on site you know there was always that assumption that she was here to bring coffee and she just was like I'm the owner of this building and I'm the one who's hired you I'm not sure why or rather hired your boss I'm not sure why you think that but it's just a perception and and I did say something I said it's, it's because there's not enough representation so you know forget about any biases anyone has at the end of the day if it's commonplace to see somebody like you then it wouldn't be so surprising right and there wouldn't be all of that assumption so it's about empowering yourself and empowering other people to also see themselves as people that can be developers people that can be investors and you know somebody that can walk into a building and 
own the building and not feel, you know, like, oh, this is something completely unachievable. Um, I would say that um, being a woman in a very male-dominated environment does have its challenge for sure. Um, but it's something that I think sometimes leaning into your femininity is not a bad thing either. So I know sometimes I've worked with builders and of course <laughs> our builders, you know, I have amazing friends that are builders, you know, family, almost like family now, but I know starting off, there was almost a, you don't know what you're talking about. I can tell you what to do. And you had to be assertive. But at the same time, I don't always feel like I need to be assertive. I feel like sometimes I can be that damsel in distress and also fall into that. And they like that as well. So I, I, you know, I'm just, I just flow with it if I need to be firm. So I'll give an example. My last builder, um, the first, I went to see him. He was in a bad place. You know, people had disappointed him and he was slow on the job. It was impacting him. So at that point I was playing more of a, an auntie role, like, you know, like trying to coach him out of it and just <laughs> pacify him a little bit. Like, look, we can get through this. Don't worry about it. But by the next day, when he called me and was still in the same sob story, I then had to kick into, you know, the firm mother role, <laughs> like, excuse me, you need to get this done. Stop you know, kind of um, wallowing in it and get it done. And so that's a different tone, right? So I think as a woman, you just need to flow with what you should be doing at the time. And, you know, it's a male-dominated env environment. That That's what it is. Until it isn't, we just have to deal with it and, and work within it. So... That's a really good point. And I feel a lot of what you said there very links back to the idea, if you can see it, you can be it. Mm. And the, the problem that we've got at the moment is... We're seeing women, um, not just women of colour, but women in general as well, in senior roles. And how do you think we can change that, Dalapo? I mean, obviously, you run your own business, but I'm sure you saw a lot of it in the corporate world as well with those big institutions. And it's definitely something we need to change, you know, in property, in construction, and also in, in other industries like finance and tech as well. Mm -hmm. What do you think could be done to help that situation? I think we're a lot further along and I'm going to go corporate first before I go into to us, um, because I know when I started in corporate world, one thing that really, really um, challenged me then was the number of women who had ended up becoming divorced. Um, as they ranked up in the in the corporate world. And I remember in particular, there's one woman who seemed to have it all. She was perfect. She was the headhunter. This was, we were, at the time I was based in America, I was working with KPMG and, and consulting is very competitive and very difficult generally, but she seemed to have it all. Her husband seemed great and she seemed to be really, really flying high. And then she announced that she was having a divorce. And for me, it was a real blow because I thought if she can't make this whole thing work, i.e. manage getting this amazing career as well as a marriage then you know it seemed like it's either one or the other but as time has gone it feels like now the corporate world is a bit more um appreciative of some of the issues that women have especially you know when you've just had a baby and you know some of the things that they put in place now I feel especially in the UK I'm not I, I don't know about America but definitely here there's a lot more support I feel that's being given to women um, at least from what I'm hearing since I've left the corporate world. I'm sure there's still a lot that can be done. Now, from our perspective as women in entrepreneurship, 
I think we have to actually schedule it in, you know, because like we were talking before we went, we got started, you know, there's no way you're easily a workaholic when you're in the business, you're passionate about it. I speak to some of my friends and it's not that we wouldn't want to just stay at home taking care of our kids. It's because we really, really enjoy what we do as well. So, you know, we are taking care of the kids. We are putting on that hat. We do have help, of course, but we are also running our businesses because we enjoy that. So we then have to put in in place structures and honestly literally map it into our calendars very strict times for downtime for being able to make sure that you are having that you know that that sort of rebuilding that inner strength to be able to give back to your family so that you're not neglecting one or the other because I think that's really where the, the real issue is is where you feel like you're neglecting your family or you're neglecting something really important just because you're chasing this dream Mm. absolutely it's, it's so it's trying to find a balance I mean it's interesting I spoke speak to a couple of women one said um you can have it all but just not all at the same time and another woman I spoke to said there is no such thing as balance you know and it's a bit similar to what we were discussing before we started the podcast is you know if you want to achieve you unfortunately you, you have to work hard you know and you you do have to try and sort of I think probably one family life is going to give at some point and then work is going to give at some point it's it's basically you know weighing up which one is most important at that time and, and trying to run with it um I, I would say one thing uh sorry, go on. yeah, yeah go on. around the support because you see you have it, it means with family life you have to have a supportive husband or friend uh, or, or or somebody in the house who's supporting you so that you can then follow your dreams in a sense, because I have spoken to some women and because I do a lot of mentorship and and coaching and trying to get people to get into property. um, One of the main um, issues is sometimes they can't juggle it all because they actually don't have the support to be able to do it. So I think it's very important that we also create these support structures as well so that we can then follow, follow on our dreams and we can actually build, build this, um, build these businesses. Yeah, absolutely. And what would you like to see change for women in property and within the workplace? So for me, um, I think having a bit more, I think with women, sometimes there is this um, thing about us being emotional and not, you know, I don't know if, if, if you've experienced that, but, you know, I feel sometimes that you can't, <laughs> you can't often express yourself, you know, in that, in that way, even if you wanted to for that moment, it feels like you always need to be holding something in and you can't just be yourself. You know, and I I know that anytime we've seen um, people in in the workplace and obviously less so when you're running your own business, you can do it as you want. But I know definitely in the corporate environment that, you know, when you, when you, when I have seen people sort of say either, you know, display their emotion or, 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 or either cry or show emotion of some sort, it's always been regarded as a negative thing and yes there has to be that point where you have decorum and all of that but there is a point where you know you can you're human right and I feel like that could definitely be that could definitely be changed I I, I'm not saying everybody should go back crying in the office I'm saying that people should be allowed to express themselves without feeling there's repercussion around that um so then changes with in terms of entrepreneurship Honestly, that's down to you and the way you run your business, right? So when you start having staff and, you know, I'm very um, considerate of people who work with me. If there's any issues they're having, 
then we work together to figure out what is going on. I'm not trying to do, it's not a blame culture here at all. It's very much a, how can we get through this culture? Because that's the only way I think you can get the best out of people. So there has to be a bit of carrot and stick. And definitely there has to be a bit of, you know, firmness around the way you run things. And I can definitely lack in that respect, in that respect, because I can tend to be a bit more relaxed. You know, I want everybody to be happy and very non-confrontational in that respect. But there's definitely a, a place for 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 having a, a, an easy environment for people to, to work in. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree, and I, I do think as well. Women are more emotional. I think that's also a good thing. I think that's more about p- women need to manifest themselves as who they are because that's mm-hmm. why we need both men and women in equal amounts. But I also think men also are emotional, but they have this whole ego side of it where they don't feel and the stigma attached to it, where they don't feel they can express themselves like they should be able to. So I think it comes from both parts in that way. And I think that start, I'd like to hope that that's starting to change, especially from a mental health perspective as well, which I understand is a whole nother subject. Um, but I totally understand what your point of what you were saying there um so let's move on to your third song choice and also the the last part of the podcast um which is this one is rihanna with please don't stop the music uh what what, what about this one Dolopo? so this one is funny because like i said music is all about the movement i remember i was going to view a property um in the car it's a nice sunny day and then this song comes up on the radio and it's just like a full rock fest in the car, you know, and I'm there just kind of singing to myself, don't stop the music, don't stop the music. And for me, it's such, you know, as you can tell, it's clear that I like upbeat music. And it was another feel good moment where I just felt, you know, let's just keep things going, you know, like this is a good time, you know, I'm loving this life i'm loving the life that i've created um well thankfully i don't i don't take full responsibility for that um but basically i'm just liking how everything is panning out you know i was going to do what i love and you know the music at the time the weather was perfect so it's just it's one of those moments where i look back and it then became a song that every time i hear it takes me back to that moment again and i'm just in a very feel-good place so all my songs are always feel good because i don't like wallowing i like you know just kind of moving on with it i i fully appreciate that point where you know yesterday was a difficult day for me there are things that happened that i wasn't happy about but i don't stay in that place at all i'll wallow for five minutes and i'm done i'm on to the next thing what's the next thing that's going to bring in something joyful that's going to make me happy right so that's that's what my life is about and it's all about moving and the experience i said about my daughter as well where you know we literally have blood everywhere and you know it's pandemonium and i'm scared and she's scared but within five minutes, we're laughing in the car. Do you understand? Because we're past that, you know? We're going to deal with it. It's going to be sorted. But right now, let's just enjoy life as it happens, right? Let's not wallow. And so I'm very much about that. And I'm about seeing the, the silver lining in everything. From that experience, I ended up bonding with my daughter so much. You know, we spent so much time together. I had to take her to the hospital. We we, 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 we laughed together. We, we you know, And I felt, you know, I don't like the circumstances that brought us here, but I'm so grateful that we're here. And I honestly feel like no matter how bad things get, kid it. And you, if you if you if you if you're in the moment, you'll still see that there is something positive, you know, um, about what's happened, you know, other than maybe death. But you know, for the most part, you can't you can't find something positive.
Rihanna with Please Don't Stop the Music. I, I love your music choices. I, I agree they're really uplifting and empowering. Um, so you, you spoke a lot there about your daughter. And um, my question was going to be, how do you manage your time effectively being a mum and also a businesswoman? With, are, are your children young? Yeah, super young. Like they're just coming out of that young stage, that baby stage. So my daughter is three and my son is five. Um, so, you know, it was tough. And it's it's a, it's an interesting, interesting question because I remember the first time somebody brought up this thing about um, how did you cope being pregnant and running a business? And I had never thought about it at the time, but it was a it was another turning point in my life where from my first son, because I was used to go, going about doing my own thing. And, you know, I was, you know, woman of my own, you know, of my own um, destiny. I could do anything I wanted. And then I got pregnant with my son. And then I had my son. I realized things had to dramatically change in the way I ran my business. So by the time I had my daughter, I was in a good place in my business, I must say, because, you know, I'd come out of that difficult stage, you know, the early years we were talking about before we went on. And I was now maybe five, six years into running the business I already had processes I already had I knew where business money was coming in from so I was in a comfortable place when they were really young so I could step back a bit and let the business run itself and there was still good income coming in and then I moved out of that stage into the lockdown and then the lockdown has then impacted so like we said there's different stages you're working hard at some stage or you're taking care of your family at some other stage but then lockdown then became a completely different ball game because it impacted my business dramatically. So then again, I slipped into a very difficult, not difficult as much as um, a, a period where I wasn't as present with them because I was needing to deal with quite a lot of fallout. So, um, so yeah, that period was tough. But then, you know, they're there. I was with them, even though I couldn't be with them present. You know, I don't know if you understand what I mean. You're there, but you're not really there. Yes. Um, yes. But, but yeah, we got out of that, right? And then now it's back to kind of a nice groove where, you know, I'll go, you know, we'll go for walks, we'll do different things, especially on the weekends. And, you know, and, and once I'm past this, you know, this year I've, I've given myself some really stretched targets. Next year we'll be back again to, you know, kind of relaxing with them and, you know, always being around and being more present because I definitely don't want to be that mom who's there, but not really there. You know, I need to be switched on for them. Yeah, yeah I can imagine it's it's challenging. I'm not a mom myself, but uh, it's one of those things that you, you is concerning about having children going forward, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, so you say that one of the most important components in, in business is to be passionate um, mm. in our work and but remain with consistency. Uh, with it, how do you remain consistent and focused every day within your work? And this is where the passion comes, right? Because you love what you do. So it's it's not really difficult to wake up in the morning thinking, hmm, what do I have to do? I think preparing the night before is also useful. But I would say that one of the things that keeps me going is because I have clients. I love what I do. I love the fact that, you know, I know that I've, what I've done is I've, 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 I've focused on all the areas I really enjoy. And then I've outsourced a lot of the areas I don't enjoy. And there's still areas I'm still holding on to because I haven't quite found the person to outsource them. So, for instance, a good example is my accounts. I really hate running through my accounts of the year, end of the year with the accountant. But I have to do it until I find somebody who can do that. But um, everything else pretty much that I don't want to do, I've outsourced. 
So it really makes the day even more enjoyable because it means you really have picked out the things that you really enjoy doing. I love doing graphics. I love, you know, building up um, like some of the course modules that I'm putting together for my training. I love doing that stuff. I love going to view properties. I love refurbishing properties. I love working into properties that are completely derelict, knowing fully well what I'm going to do with them. So you see, I think it's it's like you've pretty much created this world for yourself where you've put in and injected all the things you love so that when you come to those moments, then you're happy again because you're in a place where you love doing those things. So it then doesn't make it too difficult to wake up in the morning. Of course, during lockdown, I saw the other side of business where, you know, you cannot really want to wake up because things are just not going in the way you planned. But then you have to wake up because you have to deal with it anyway. So, you know, it's 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 business. You will enjoy some days and you won't. But for the most part, you need to create it as a positive environment for yourself. Otherwise, why are you doing it? And just a couple more questions. What does success look like to you? So success, uh, funnily enough, is not quite sitting on the beach doing nothing <laughs> for me. I think success is, is seeing people around me being successful so I want to be successful because I already feel like I'm getting to a place I'm quite happy with but I feel like success is 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 it's a lonely journey when you're on your own and if you can bring other people along with you then it makes it a more enjoyable place and so my idea of success is being on a cruise with a lot of people family friends you know and just not having a care of the in the world in a sense, but you know, being able to just enjoy it, knowing full well that everybody you're with and everybody around you is okay as well, you know, at least as far as you can you you can you can control. Um, so that's what success is in a sense. And the very last question, in your opinion, what is a modern woman? Ah, a modern woman obviously is <laughs> I think so somebody said so if you can have it all, even if not at the same time. <laughs> a modern woman <laughs> You need to be wearing a hundred hats. Like literally you have to be the mom, the friend, the wife, you know, and you have to be trying to do everything as best as you can. And for sure, some things will slip, but you know, and this is where priorities come at the point where you feel, you know what, I probably need to focus a bit more on my husband because I've been neglecting him for the past two weeks. Then the next week week could be all about everything you do around him and then you can slip back into your old ways the week after because you've you fill the cup in a sense so honestly as a modern woman you have to you have to become not necessarily multi although I don't know how people get away from not multitasking I, I, I see a lot of um, productivity tips about not multitasking about doing set things at set times and I really want to get to that point but right now I'm very much a multitasking mom wife and everything I have to juggle as many things as I can to get to to keep my life going. But it's just that I I do in a way that doesn't stress me out too much. Um, But I feel like a modern woman, you're going to have to live like that, especially at the point where you start having kids in the family. Well, thank you so much for your insights and providing some really good information about property investing and also sharing your story with us. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we before we finish? I wanted to say thank you, Rosie, for this platform. You know, when I came across that, I just thought, wow, you know, I really like what you've put together in terms of the context, in, in terms of, and the website is gorgeous. Like, I love the fact that you have different sections targeted towards different 
areas as well. Really, really great job that you're doing and really wish, you know, all the best in, 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 in the endeavor and in everything that you're putting together. I would say that um, for me, um, of course, property is my thing. And um, anyone who's listening that's interested in property, definitely reach out to me because I feel like there's always a strategy within property that is useful for, you know, if, whether, like I said, whether you have funds, whether you don't have funds, whether you're, 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 you're disorganized, whether you're organized, there's always some way within property that we can fit and where you can find it a fit. And I feel like it's one of the easier ways to, to build long-term wealth. You know, I, I think about when I got started and now 10 years in, I was, I was doing like some kind of analysis of my of my financials, and I thought, what else could I have done to have earned this much in the past ten years? You know, I'm sure I could have got into digital marketing or whatever, but at the end of the day, or maybe bitcoins. But those are all things that are predictable, right? But you know, for me, I feel property is quite predictable. It is quite, if you know what you're doing, it's something that really, it, 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 it's an investment for the future. It's something you do today. And one day you wake up and you're 60 and you have this amazing life because you've built, you've built it brick by brick. So for me, um, I just like to leave that as a final word, seeing that that's, you know, that's what I'm really about. So. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that was Adela Oni, the founder and CEO of CityGate Homes.